Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust. Hi, I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki, a professor at Rhode Island College. And today for the podcast, we have a very special guest. At least she's extremely special to me because she's my little sister, Elisa Smith. And so we're recording this podcast um, from a distance. I'm sitting in my apartment in Providence, Rhode Island, and she's sitting in her apartment in Chicago, Illinois. So I'm going to let her go ahead and introduce herself and tell you a little bit about why I wanted her to talk on this podcast. So hi again, my name is Elisa Smith. I'm a third-year medical student at Chicago Medical School in Illinois. Um, Megan wanted me to talk a little bit about how I study in medical school. So not only has she taught me about effective learning strategies, but at my orientation in medical school, they also taught me about the same effective learning strategies and study methods. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about how you were introduced to effective learning strategies from cognitive psychology? Um, in your med school orientation? Because my understanding is that at least I don't I don't think most medical schools do this type of thing, or at least most um, most colleges don't introduce students to effective learning strategies. This, this might be a little bit unique. So during our first week of medical school, they have an orientation week where we sit through seminars, we get to talk to upperclassmen, and they teach us kind of just get us ready for the next four years um, in a crash course. And part of that was a one-hour session with our um, kind of head of the academic department and study methods. She sat us down and talked to us about how what we had been doing up until this point may not be enough to get us through medical school. The problem with studying in medical school is that you have an immense amount of information thrown at you that you have to not only memorize, but understand in a finite amount of time, and then you have to retain that information. So cramming isn't going to work anymore. And if that's what you did throughout undergrad, which I was definitely guilty of, you're going to have to change your study methods. So she taught us about spaced learning in particular and how, you know, you should be studying all of your materials from all of your classes every single day. You shouldn't sit down and study all of anatomy one day and then never look at it until the day before your exam. You should be doing a little bit of it every day. And you should also be doing all of your classes every day. So you mentioned that these are things that you did not do as an undergraduate. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that and maybe whether your sister told you to study in particularly effective ways and why you maybe didn't do that so often? Yes. So you did tell me about effective learning strategies as an undergrad. Um, I chose not to listen <laughs> in part because I I did well in undergrad. I was getting good grades. And so at the time, I didn't so much care about trying to change my study methods, especially if it seemed to me at the time like I might have to put in more effort. Um, for me in undergrad, cramming the night before an exam and then regurgitating all of that information was enough to get me through. What I now realize is that I've lost a lot of that knowledge that I had as an undergrad. So I can't recall all of the information from the classes, even some of the basics that I you know, did very well in at the time. So in medical school, that's not going to cut it. As physicians, we have to retain all of this information. And if you're cramming 
and then regurgitating and forgetting, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. And to give everybody sort of the background that, of course, we know and they don't know, we're four years apart. So when you were starting undergrad, I would have been just getting done with my undergraduate work and going into graduate school. And so I was just learning about these study strategies myself and saying, hey, try this. Hey, try that. And you were probably just trying to figure out what worked for you. And I wasn't a professor yet, so I didn't have quite as much um, credibility as maybe I do now. But honestly, this, I think, is a common thing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be talking to you guys about this during orientation at medical school, right? I mean, pretty much everybody who gets to medical school, or at least a lot of people, have been studying in a way that gets them good grades but isn't necessarily going to cut it at the next level. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. I have still spoken with fellow medical students who say that they don't like to use the study methods that were taught to us. Um, even I remember when we were interviewing for um, tutoring positions my second year and then my third year when the class below us was, many students were denied tutoring positions because they had an interview with the same woman who taught us during orientation about effective teaching methods. And they essentially said, no, I don't use those. And she said, well, I don't want you mentoring other students about learning then. Right. So they want you to use these because they have um, a lot of evidence to support their effectiveness. And it sounds like you do utilize these strategies now. You've, you've sort of bought into the whole evidence based practice thing. Would, how many students at school would you say kind of ignore? Is it is it the vast majority or just a handful? Um, I would say it's about 50%. About half of us adapted. And then I would say the other half kind of thought, well, it got me this far and maybe, you know, whatever they're doing is working for them. Um, you know, they get through. I don't know what those students got on the standardized testing exams where you have to really retain all that information, but they're getting through. The ones that um, those standardized tests, they require you to recall how much? Two years worth of information, maybe more? Yes, it's at least at my school, it's two years. It varies a little bit between schools, whether they fit that curriculum in in a year and a half or two years. So my school does two years. And then at the end of that, we all take a few months off to study. And then we have to take a board exam that's about an eight hour long test over all of your basic science information that you learn in the first two years of school. Yeah. So you've been using this, the study strategies that um, cognitive psychologists have deemed effective. And it sounds like the um, individual who's in charge of teaching you all how to study in the tutoring program has seen these evidence-based evidence-based strategies as useful, and that's why they teach it to all of the students at your school. Um, you already mentioned spacing a little bit. Do you want to mention some of the other strategies that you use and how you use them? So maybe um, tell us about how you make sure that you're using spacing you know, throughout the year and then some of the other strategies that you use. Yeah. Well, during our first two years of school, we were on what's called a block schedule. So we take all of our classes for each of our courses um, over a three-week period. And then the, at the end of that three weeks, we take one large exam with questions from every course on it. So it's, you know, a two, three-hour exam every three weeks over all the material we're learning. And I think that's a particularly effective way because it forces us to not only use spacing with going back to each course every day, but it also forces us to use inter leaving by making sure we're not neglecting any courses because the test is going to be at the same time and we have to pay enough attention to each course. It's usually four or five that we're taking at a time. So I would generally study at least 
two or three different courses each day and try to make a study schedule at the beginning of the week that I stuck to so that I could pay enough attention to each course. And the weekend was usually kind of without a schedule. It was, you know, what have I struggled with this week? What needs a little bit of extra attention? So how did you make the schedule and then stick to it? Was there something that you found to be particularly helpful? Um, Usually, I think what was helpful was leaving the weekends free so that if, say, I was studying physiology and I just really wasn't understanding it that unit, I think an undergrad or if I didn't try to stick to the schedule and really put my trust in these study methods, I would have been tempted to ignore other classes and really focus on that. But I could always tell myself, I have to do well on every course, so I can't neglect these. And I have the weekend to catch up if I need it. I think leaving a little bit of flex time in the schedule helps you stick to you know, that five days of really sticking to a schedule and then having two days where you can do you know, whatever makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah. And one of the things about interleaving is that it does lead to more mistakes during studying. So the research actually shows that if you block and you focus on one thing for long periods of time, you're going to get better at that one thing. And it feels like you're learning it better. Whereas if you're interleaving, you might make more mistakes and it might not feel as good. But in the long run, the interleaving, even though you're not feeling as good about individual topics, is actually better. So blocking might lead to high confidence right now, but in two days, that's all. A lot of that is going to be gone. Absolutely. And that is something that I would notice too. You know, when I went back to something on the weekend, sometimes I'd feel like, oh, I think I knew this better than I thought I did. Yeah. So those are the planning strategies, spacing and interleaving. I know you use retrieval practice a lot as well. Um, how do you how do you integrate retrieval practice into your studying? I did. So med school is there are certain classes that's a lot of conceptual understanding. And then there are a lot of classes that are a little bit more rote memorization, things like um, anatomy, for example, that's essentially rote memorization. So for that, retrieval was incredibly important. And there's um, there's several different flashcard you know, programs on computers. I personally used Anki, which was really nice. Um, so Anki is just a flashcard system where you, know, you type in what you want on the front, you type in what you want on the back, and then you can test yourself. So that was um, straight retrieval. And what's nice about Anki is that they also incorporate spacing. And if you want, you can incorporate interleaving. So you can make different decks and And depending on how confident you rate yourself on that card, it will show up, you know, in either 10 minutes, 20 minutes or two days. And as you continue to say that you're confident with that card, it'll space it out a little bit more. But they do always come back when you study that deck. So they incorporate a little bit of those strategies in themselves. Yeah. So repeated retrieval is really important. So not dropping it out of the deck, but giving yourself a little bit of space in between can make you more efficient. Right. And yeah, Anki was very helpful with classes like anatomy, pharmacology. I think those were kind of the big two that I used it for. So in addition to the ones that you've talked about, are there any other study strategies from that effective list that you like to use a lot or that you think works particularly well for you? Yes. um, Dual coding, I found was very effective for me. Um, It was not only highly effective, but actually kind of fun, which sounds nerdy, but it's it's true. And I'm a medical student, so I am pretty nerdy. Um, So there are all of these, I guess, sites out there like Picmonic. I don't know a ton of them, but I liked to use Sketchy Medical. 
So Sketchy Medical, they have um, Sketchy Micro, Sketchy Farm, and Sketchy Path. I think Sketchy Micro is probably their strongest program. But they show these videos that tell a little story, and they have you know, symbols that they use throughout that represent something. So for instance, if you have, you know, a gram negative bacteria or a gram positive bacteria, they're going to use a lot of red and purple in the scene to help to kind of ingrain that in your memory that that's what is associated with that particular bug. So I used those and it helped me a ton for Sketchy Micro. I honestly have no idea how people memorized all of this before this product was on the market. So they also have Sketchy Farm, which I did use as a second year medical student when I was learning pharmacology. Those are pretty good too. And then they now have Sketchy Path, which I haven't used because it came out after I'd already taken pathology. Oh, wow. So are these, is this something that you pay for or is it free online? It is something that you pay for. You can subscribe for different blocks of time and you can either get just micro, just farm, just path, or you can do bundles with all of them. But I think it was extremely effective for me and it was definitely money well spent. Great. Well, we'll go ahead and link to that on the show notes. But have you ever used dual coding without products that you've paid for? I know you've used that used that before. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you did some of that at home. I remember seeing some things on your closet door on that mirror when I was visiting. Yes. So um, about the closet door, um, when I was taking uh, physiology and we were learning about the you know pulmonary physiology, I just didn't want to waste a ton of time sitting and memorizing you know all the different lung volumes. And so I drew out the graph of it on my closet doors, which were mirror closet doors. So you can do this you know on a whiteboard, on a mirror, or you know on your bathroom mirror, something that you're gonna see a lot throughout the day. And each time I would see it, I would just kind of quickly run through. And if I needed a little help at the beginning, you know, I'd supplement with my notes, but I would get stronger and stronger. So throughout the three weeks, by the end of it, I'd seen this so often and I'd kind of run through what each lung volume was so frequently that it was really just second nature. And I could imagine that graph in my head and it was very easy. So that's a little a little spacing with dual coding that helped just really ingrain something in my memory without a ton of effort, really, because I was just seeing it all the time. Yeah. And that's a combination of dual coding and retrieval practice, which is really cool. Yes. So I want to ask you about learning styles. Has this ever come up in your medical education? So the idea of learning styles, meaning that an individual might be, you know, have a specific preference, like they like visual or they like verbal or they like hands-on learning. And the concept of learning styles posits that you have to diagnose an individual's style and then cater the studying or your instruction to match that particular style in order to maximize learning. And cognitive psychologists have found little to no evidence that this um, actually exists. And there's, you know, it's even suggested that getting students to think that they have a particular style, that they're particularly visual or verbal might actually hurt them in the long run. Has this ever come up in your medical education or, you know, at school talking to your classmates? It definitely has. I would say among classmates, um, students still feel that this is a true thing. You know, you'll hear, hear people say, I'm a visual learner or I'm an auditory learner. And if that's how they want to cater their studying and they find whatever they're doing effective, I suppose that's okay. 
Um, as far as not from students, I've heard it from professors, you know, who are not well-versed in learning research, but, you know, they're extremely well-versed in their medical research, whatever they're teaching us. So they'll generally say, oh, I'm doing this for the auditory learners. I'm doing this for the visual learners. But since they're teaching towards a whole class of people, they do present the material in all the different ways. So I guess it's still very effective because they're using quote unquote, all the methods that they think we could be as learners. The woman who did our orientation actually told us that the learning styles theory is not true, that we should all be sticking to these tried and true learning methods, but then also incorporating little bits from all the different quote unquote learning styles into our study methods. And that if we try to learn the material in different ways, it'll actually be more effective and we should all try you know, to expose ourselves to the material in these different ways. Yeah. The research suggests that the combination of those modalities is actually best and and the you know the professors who are teaching in all of those different areas they are actually doing multimodal learning even if they think they're only doing it to you know the auditory learners are benefiting right now and the visual learners are benefiting later or what have you the problem is that then if a specific student thinks well I'm an auditory learner and then something comes along and it's a particularly verbal or visual subject they might think, oh, I can't do this because I'm an auditory learner, and that's just not true. And that's what the, where the problem comes. Have you seen that at all, just anecdotally? Yes. I, I think it's particularly strong for people who think they're vis- um, yeah, visual learners. Well, the, they will say, I don't need to listen to the lecture. I just need to read the notes. And, you know, they miss things. Um, they miss – First of all, that auditory modality of listening to the lecture that can be very effective, but then they also miss anything that the lecture may be said that is not in the notes. Right. Yeah. It can be a really big can be a really big problem, but it's a pervasive myth. At least um, we found that it's it's very pervasive. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And as, as we're sort of wrapping this up, um, what would you want to tell any new incoming medical student about, you know, how they should approach medical school from a learning perspective, just based on your experiences? I would say it's a really good idea to look into these learning strategies and really try to trust them, especially like I did try to make a schedule at the beginning of the week stick to it, you know, space out your studying, study each subject each day if you can, but definitely a few times during the week and also study different coursework on each day. Um, and don't cram. That's a big thing that a lot of us pre-medical students did in undergrad. We were very good at cramming information and then forgetting it all, but that's just not going to work in medical school. So make sure you're not cramming. And what about advice for students who are pre-med and hoping to get into medical school? So students who are undergrads or maybe even late high school who are looking to be pre-med when they go to college. Do you have any advice for them? So I think even for high schoolers and pre-med students, they should start to try to incorporate these study methods. There is a learning curve. And at the beginning of medical school, it was a little bit difficult for me to incorporate these methods and feel like I was effectively studying. And eventually I caught on and became more confident and comfortable with it. But it was frustrating at first. You feel like this isn't how you study. It's not how you want to study. And you've been so successful in the past without using these methods. But again, it's just not going to cut it in medical school. So if they can get into the habit of that before medical school, they'll they'll really have a leg up on everyone else where they 
come into it a little bit more comfortable and confident. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me and talking with me about how you study. We will go ahead and post uh, links to the different the different apps and different programs that you mentioned on the show notes. So if you're a listener wanting to get a hold of some of those sketchy things or Anki, those links will be on the show notes. And um, this week, we'll also be posting a bite-sized research um, episode. So a brief episode where we talk about specific research findings that pertains to medical school learning. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for having me. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by The Wellcome Trust.